Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner in crime for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, your vocation, your spiritual life, or maybe your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Chris Maxwell and Tracy Reynolds, honored again to uh, have time together and to talk about Next Step Leadership. Um, our last conversation, uh, Tracy, uh, we just uh, heard a lot about the tension, about what's what's going on in this season of, of the unknown, and uh, where can we go with that? Yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, Tony Vismore, uh, lead pastor here at Grace Fellowship, uh, where I'm privileged to serve with my wife as well, uh, that it wasn't as if, hey, we've got this figured out, but we're learning as, as go and as you're going kind of mentality. Uh, so I appreciate that. I feel like a person in process, uh, and I can relate. That's, that's my camp. That's my, that's my team. So I relate to that. So uh, I think looking back, thinking ahead, how in the world have we gotten to where we are and maybe some ways that we can, can grow together would be great. Welcome back, Tony. Uh, thanks. I'm, I'm enjoying this time with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, we talked last time about some of the issues that surfaced. And I thought you did a fantastic job of just talking about the kinds of uh, tensions that uh, that everybody in ministry, everybody is having to deal with. Now thinking through that, man, what are some ways you've coped? What are some ways that you are, I mean, you're, you're still standing, brother, and that's a good thing. <laughs> so uh, how did we get this far and kind of what do you see uh, moving forward? Yeah, I, I realized um, early on in this that this was not going to be a short-run issue. This was going to be a long journey. This was going to be difficult and probably more complicated than we thought it would be back last March in 2020. Uh, and I realized that in order for me to lead uh, my family well, for me to lead my congregation well, the staff well, the leadership of the church well, our community well, I was going to have to really lead me well to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I just put in some very practical uh, processes in my life. Uh, I think rhythm is really, really important to our life. Um, I think it's Eugene Patterson and his his message, uh, paraphrase, talks about come and learn the rhythms of grace is one of his great quotes out of that. That's good. Um, so I said, what, what are the rhythms of my life? And now that everything, things are shut down, we're working from home, we're just... So what, what can I control in a world that feels completely out of control? Yeah. And so it was simple things like I was going to make sure I got up at the same time every day. I was mm-hmm. going to go to bed at the same time every night. I wasn't going to spend six hours binge watching Netflix. I wasn't going to keep my face and my phone and on social media uh, all day long. I was not going to just live inside my house contained in this with a constant flow of media that was coming at all directions from every different perspective. And, you know, one of the frustrating parts as a leader is not being able to get good data. Mm-hmm. Great decisions are always based on good data and hand, accurate data. So you couldn't get this. So I said, these are going to be the things I do. I'm going to walk with my wife. I'm going to exercise. As long as I can play tennis and the courts are open, I'm going to keep my tennis schedule. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to keep my daily devotions go and I'm going to keep my prayer time up. I'm going to do this well because I can control this. I can't control what the government's going to do. The issue with, 
but this I can, and that gives me a sense of, of uh, direction. Uh, when I started doing that and walking that through, uh, we met with our family and we just sat down. I have two kids, uh, a son. My son at that point, he was a rising senior at the University of Georgia and uh, our daughter who was a rising junior at that point. And we just sat down with them and we said, okay, this is, this is what it looks like. And we're going to either have to make a decision that we're going to take opportunity in this to move forward or we're going to see this as an opportunity to do nothing. And there's going to be 10,000 reasons why we can justify not doing anything and finding an excuse. Or we can see this as an opportunity and we can leverage it moving forward. And for my kids in their context, it was like, I know your senior year is not going to feel like it was supposed to in the university or in your junior year. And now, you know, you're having to meet online some. But you know what? You can meet at class. And instead of walking in there going, there should be 100 people in my finance class. There's only seven. Instead of being frustrated with that, say, you know what? I've got greater access to the professor now. And I'm going to build that relationship. And I'm going to find ways to leverage this in my advantage. So from a family perspective, we began looking at from that, how do we take advantage of what's been handed to us? Refuse a, a victim mentality, refuse a justification of doing nothing. There's something we can do in our hands right now. As it related to the church, you know, the first thing I knew I had to do is the vision that we have for our church has got to be put on hold for the moment because mm-hmm. no one cares. They're just trying to sort things out. So, but you got to have vision. So instead of a three-year, five-year, seven-year vision that we were pushing, uh, I, I stepped back and said, well, well what's a one-year vision? Maybe we can do it in, in a one-year. And we came up with kind of four different areas. The first uh, step would be reorganization. And so we reorganized you know, everything from being an in-person experience to an online experience. Yeah. Services online, children's ministry online, Sunday school online, small groups online, youth ministry online. So we had to reorganize all of that. And I knew it was going to be important for the staff that we had clear goals and what we wanted to do because they needed emotional stability in their life. And having a clear job description and what we're doing and goals helps us in that. So we established that. And after that reorganization period, we said our second step in the vision would be, uh, would be to reopen and we knew that reopening would not be a one Sunday event, but we had to figure out how do we reopen? When do we reopen? What does it look like? What do we bring back? What we don't? So we took about three or four months to do that. And then we, the next stage was going to be the regathering. Once we reopen, how do we regather the people? And then uh, after the regathering, we said we would have a refocusing. Hmm. And that's where we kind of unload the vision of the church back again. But I, I just, as a leader, it began with me into my family and then into the church, understanding because everything was so turned upside down, there would be resistance greater than ever before. There would be more questions than ever before. There would be people who are at different places emotionally with all of this, different family issues going on that you had to navigate. But I also knew this was an opportunity to press in and to push forward. And then we just prayed for discernment to try to figure out mm-hmm. how hard to hit the accelerator and when to pull back. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of 
you know, um, I, I guess maybe crisis management mode a little bit. But I knew it couldn't just be waller in the moment. That's yeah. never healthy for anybody. True. What this is where we are. What's a reasonable step we can take, and what does it look like? And it begins within me, making sure I'm taking care. You know, we, we talked about I think last section. You know. I think you said it like this, Tracy, and it was a beautiful statement, that the acid test of our faith is how we love others. But that is going to be derived out of how I love me. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm not loving me and taking self-care mm-hmm. and putting these things in my life that loves me and the person God's made me to be, then it's really going to hinder me trying to love you well. Yeah, I agree, and I just appreciate your comments and and how you started uh, taking us back through adjusting to this this new season, this new time of the unknown, or how we're going to deal with it. And you, you you took us home. You took us to yourself personally and to your family. Um, in business and in, in church leadership, um, so often that is not in its appropriate place. It's way down the line of all of this church leadership that we must do, all of these goals that we have and in the people we must reach, and we forget those who are right beside us. Um, think of the lessons um, that your family learned because you were there for them, and that was a priority. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and I think uh, leading them is always the most important. Members are going to come and go. Staff will come and go. But the people that will be at my funeral, I hope, will be my family. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. people who will be speaking at my funeral will hopefully be my family. And they'll say, you knew my dad as this, but I knew my dad as this. Not that there is a duplicity there, but he was my dad. He loved me well. He pointed me to Christ well. He was practical in his love of life, and he learned, helped me to learn how to enjoy the life that Christ had given us, from good food to great music to following Christ passionately to loving people and, and navigating. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're trying to do that. The story's still out. I don't know how it's working. <laughs> you know, again, we're people in progress, right? Uh, yeah, you know, and I, well, and I think we're going in the right direction. Tony, I, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is the candor that we can talk about where we are um, and and be honest about it. That we can just say, "Hey, this is where we are." It's not where we intend to stay, but we can't get to where we want to go if we're not honest about where we are. Sure, and, and start with that. There are people that. I believe as as we're having this conversation are still really hurting it and they're they're just looking for just morsels of you know uh, ways that we can uh, help encourage them not to give up not to give in not to throw in the towel what what are what would be some things that you might say to that to that end yeah I think uh, having the right people in your circle is critical I think having the right people speaking into your life uh, I think being able to share with them openly, this is where my struggle is. This is where my sore point is. Uh, this is this is where I'm scared. Um, I, I think those are those are invaluable. 
Uh, it's got to be the right circle, though. Uh, a lot of people, especially in ministry, they've had the wrong circle, and that circle turned around and bit them bad. And therefore, we're very, uh, we're very scared to yeah. put that out there. I'm seeing, especially in millennial pastors right now, that the wound is extraordinarily deep mm-hmm. because they have pastored through deeply relational connections that their pastoring was as much around a coffee table and in their home or on vacation or extended weekend trips with family and friends in their church. And then COVID hits, those people are not in their lives. They can't spend, and then they leave. They just leave the church. They don't return to church. They don't let you know where they're going or why they left. They're, they're just out. And, and, and for a lot of pastors who pastor that type of relational context, it is jarring for them. They were not ready for that. They are just like, are you kidding me? We were doing life, all those phrases, right? We're doing life on life together. We're pouring into one another. It's just, and it's like, wait a minute, where are you? You don't even return my text. Hmm. You've gone to another church and you're posting about them and you haven't even, really? So I have found, um, that to be very difficult for a lot of pastors, wounding at the deepest places. One, Christ understands that. It's interesting that when Paul describes and gives correction to the Corinthian church about communion, as he describes the night in which Christ established uh, his table, the Eucharist, uh, he uses this phrase, on the night in which Christ was betrayed. Mm. There's a 10,000 other ways he could have framed that on the night that Christ was the fulfillment of 1,500 years of prophecy, on the night in which Christ cut forth a new covenant. But he uses the word betrayed, and I think that is the most painful word in the human experience. Mm. So we have a Savior who truly gets it. And there are other ministers who truly experience that and work through that. But we work through it with them in the Mm. context of Christ, the one who refuses to betray us. And we find our strength there. And so it's this constant leaning back ultimately into Christ, but hopefully with some fellow brothers and colleagues that can help us to that table to find that healing. The sad news to me is that so many... Uh, maybe because they've been hurt relationally, they've chosen to go the other direction and live in isolation. Oh yeah, uh, and and that is it breaks my heart. It's a death sentence. It it is. We have to live in the plural, not the singular. We have to be a part of of this family. Uh, me personally, uh, and I've mentioned this many times in this podcast, and everybody that's that knows me, uh, they they know what I'll say here. But having people in my life who are my accountability friends who are there speaking life to me all my years of pastoring in Orlando I had a group of guys we would meet with regularly and our churches were all different you know we weren't living in this you know count the numbers less compete world it was personal life world how are you really doing and we could ask the hard questions and actually listen to the answers and love one another through the struggles and uh, and it wasn't surface. It was deep. It was real. It was honest. So one of the best decisions I ever made in my years of pastoring was to be a part of an accountability group 
one of the other best decisions I ever made was uh, seeing a professional Christian counselor. Absolutely. And, and I would say this also. I, there is a model of relationships that the, the Scripture gives us, and I, I don't know that we do this well. Um, we, we, we all tend to gravitate around people who are like us. Mm. We have this infinity. We kind of, uh, be it theologically, be it uh, age, be it station of life, we just sort of gravitate. And I think one of the most important things that has brought me to where I am today is the number of older ministers that I've had in my life over the years um, who have consistently been there and speaking into my life and that I call them and ask them for help because they've been through this. Me and my colleagues at my age, we haven't. We've never had a church split. We've never had elders board meetings just go to absolute pot. But these guys have. And instead of trying to sort it out with someone else who really doesn't know what's going on, they're great to hear, they're great to listen, they're great to pray for. But to have some of these older guys say, okay, first of all, settle down. <laughs> God is still on his throne. It's probably not as bad as you think it is. And just to help you navigate from a perspective on the mountain that they have that's a little higher. So especially for those young leaders out there, I would say the importance of wrapping yourself around some older leaders and make it a prayerful deal. Make it, Father, show me some guys Mm -hmm. that maybe I can get close to and I can pour into. So I have a list of guys that, you know, are that for me. You know, today I'm 52 and I'm still calling them. And they're in their 70s. And I'm saying, hey, what do I do with this? And it's invaluable moments. Yeah. And those are so important. And we need to have people who are speaking into our lives from that perspective. And let me say this also to that. Because I think maybe I can give a little clarity that would help. Because when I have those guys in my life, they're in their 60s, 70s, and and what have you. They're not going to be that relational guy. Typically, they're very pragmatic. They're very answer-solutions-oriented. So if I'm going there for like relational healing and that, I'm probably not going to get it from that. But I have guys my age uh, that I can find that from. And I do think sometimes maybe young leaders look to older leaders for that type of Mm. interpersonal, you know, uh, real community. That generation of guys just, they're not always that. The millennials, they're much more relationally focused and listening and caring and, and empathetic, I think. And I think it's a beautiful part of that generation. Um, sometimes as we get a little older, we get a little less empathetic and a little more pragmatic. But you need that in your life and your ministry as well. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Tony, thank you so much for this. This has been uh, rich. I think there's a lot of helpful help there for each of us, and we appreciate you. Love sure, you thank you. And thank you both. And uh, we're all learning as we yeah. age and as we serve and as we lead, uh, learning ways to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Hey, do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. 
Chris Maxwell is the author of 10 books, including Pause with Jesus, Underwater, A Slow and Sudden God, and his latest book of poetry, Embracing Now. You can find links to all of his work and our social media information at our website, nextstepleadership.buzzsprout.com. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. Follow them on Instagram at Casual Americans. And new music is coming soon. We release Next Step Leadership each Thursday, so join us next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.